Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Age of Radio. Coming up, the revolution was so nice, why not do it twice? Jay Pond 2 sees our favorite pinko strike out for Bolivia and things take a real turn. All this in a better first-person scene than 2005's Doom, this week on For Screen and Country. the ships at sea welcome we are coming to you today this this podcast which i will talk about in a moment in the title we are coming to you live today from la paz bolivia we are on a small road on a mountain just outside of town we have a beautiful view of the entire city which is appropriate for to this podcast called for screen and country that's right. My name is Jason. And I happen to be Brendan. That's right. And this is a podcast called for screen and country. We already did that. But what I'm saying. And I'm Brendan. Hold on. Hold on. This is a podcast of which the topic, at least at this point, is Pace Magazine's list of the greatest war movies of all time. And we, uh, uh, and this week, Brendan is no different. In fact, this week is extra not different because this week is part two of the movie we watched last week, which if you don't remember... Yeah. yeah I was going to say, you might say this week is completely similar. You might say that, but we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. That was another thing. Even though... Even though, well, I guess that would make more sense if if only one of the Chays was on this list, which would be really funny. It would be really funny. Uh, <laughs> I only like half the movie. It's like the front part sucks, but the back half's great if you can get to it. <laughs> you can um, get to it. If you can find it. It's really rare. Yeah. <laughs> but we, uh, of course, talking about war movies, we are talking about this week, Che, part two, uh, colon, which one's this called? The Gorilla? I think it's, yeah, I think it's just called Gorilla. Yeah, Gorilla. That, that's the subtitle if you need it. Otherwise, it's just Che, part two. It's spelled G-U-E, of course. Yes. Just specifying yes. for the people. Thank you, Brendan. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to help. I'm here to help you, help them, help me, help us. Amen. Hey, fellas, I just wanted to stick my head in for a sec. Jimmy, we're just oh, starting the hey, show. Jimmy. Well, no, no. I didn't, I didn't say anything last week. But well, I mean, I didn't I, know. I didn't think you'd have a, a major statement to make about a movie well, you're, you weren't alive for. I, I, I met Che once. Oh, yeah, I was in New York City. I was there with uh, my good pal, uh, Don Rickles. Sure, yeah, of course. Don and I, Don and I used to do a lot of acid back in the sixties. <laughs> Don Rickles, and yeah, yeah, Don oh. and I. It was it was it was a strange time, hmm. and we were we were we were we were tripping. We were tripping balls, of course. and we were walking down by the UN, and who should we run into but this scraggly guy in a beret? Hmm. 
Che Guevara. Now, Jimmy, may I interject just for a moment? Um, yeah, if you would. You say you were really high on acid. Is it possible yeah. you just walked by a guy with a beret and thought it was Che Guevara? Come on now. Oh, okay. Well, th- that defense is solid. I don't know what to say to that. That's just come on, come on. Yeah, now. no, you're come right. On, come on, young you're man. right. What was I thinking? Well, I'm gonna go back to the door. I got my eye on you all. I don't know if I trust you anymore, Jimmy. Jimmy, he's he's fine. He's just he's he's skeptical. Look at him. Well, I, I guess I'm so. just doing my own research, Jimmy. <laughs> you, you would, wouldn't you? Mm. I'm going back to the door. I'll be wearing a mask just in case. <laughs> What, does he think I have COVID now? <laughs> you might think he has COVID. I don't know. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to ask. Aren't that. we all born with COVID? That's my new conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> it's dormant in all of us until the government brings it out with microchips and um, uh, rock music. Yeah, I call it the Walking Dead COVID theory, and <laughs> that everybody is just born with it. And when you die, you come back to life as a COVID zombie. Oh, and you work for cool. Emperor Fauci. Ba bum ba. God, I hate people like that. Anyways. Yeah, fuck Fauci, right? Am I right? <laughs> no. Am I right, folks? No, no. <laughs> Let's not go there. Let's not take that road, Jason. But but I would. I would fuck Fauci, 100%. Because yes. you know he'd be safe, right? Oh, I would hope yeah. so. He'd wear like a mask and a condom. So, a, a, a double banger. <laughs> wow. Anyway, <laughs> this is not what we talk about on this show at all. No. No, we are talking about Che, part two. The deuce. The back half of Che's life. That's right. And not, not really the back half. I mean, you know, the dude was what, like 36 or something when he died. He wasn't very old. Well, not the, not the back half, but certainly like the, the his, latter his, part of his life. His revolutionary second act, mm. if you will. A very different but very similar movie, you might say. Yes. So, Jason, um, what is this movie? I know this is like a, you know, just just tell us briefly what this movie focuses on, this this Che part two. So the first part of the movie gave us a brief introduction of Che kind of coming and meeting Castro and kind of coming to the, the revolutionary end of it. And then we saw his actions in Cuba through the successful revolution that overthrew Batista and instilled a Cuban communist system. This movie is about the kind of uh, the latter years of Che's life when after he had, I guess, I, I assume he had become somewhat dissatisfied with being a politician. Uh, I, I think he was a guy that thought he would have much more success rather than as a politician, like on the ground, spreading revolution. And, and so, you know, he kind of came up with his own ideas on how to go about fomenting revolution, something that people call Guevarism. Mm-hmm. And as we said last week, Soderbergh intentionally skipped a lot of the political stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have weighed down the movie too much, I think. We've already got this movie that combined is four hours and 26 minutes long. If you started bringing all the politics into it, it would be much, much longer. Be a miniseries. You could, you could, I think you could do a miniseries. Like, honestly, you, you could do oh, you a 10 part miniseries. But do we need it? No. <laughs> no. And, I, and I'm surprised how. how like close this movie does stick to Che's life from what we know of it, at least because it's partially based on his diary. So it's based on what, how he remembered his life at least. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is about Che going to Bolivia to help foment another revolution to, because the Bolivians also have a communist party. There also is unrest. There's a government in place. That's like so many other Latin American governments. It's essentially a military dictatorship that's run by corruption and cronyism, uh, which was not unique at this time. Um, so Che goes there. But what we have here is a fundamentally different situation than what was in Cuba. In Cuba, we have, I, I think in Cuba, we have much more popular support. Yes. The, like much more organization and the, the disparate groups working together. Whereas Che's, I guess you could call it expedition, really, to Bolivia feels like trying to get that revolution started rather than shepherding that revolution through. It feels like you know? it's much more of an uphill battle in this movie. It is. And yeah, he's... Because I... there's a lot of Cubans involved in supporting this action, and it does come into question a couple of times of, like, well, you got all these Cubans in the group. Like, 
what do Bolivians care about that? Like, mm. you're not going to be able to to do this unless you have like true homegrown Bolivian support, and it really wasn't there. And there's in the same way it was in Cuba. Yeah, and there's a lot of distrust between the Bolivians and the Cubans, and he, despite being ostensibly some Bolivians and Cubans in Che's group, definitely some some distrust between them, some maybe yeah. like tension between them, you know, all based on country, you know, where this guy's from, this guy. And again, we should note, as we said last week, Che not even Cuban, Che is Argentinian. So there's already yeah. that, plus the yeah. fact that he's he's coming down from Cuba. He's like, I made Cuba great again. Now I'm going to yeah. do the same for Bolivia. He's he's basically that's, Trump, right? Is that what we agree exactly on? what, yeah. Okay. That's what, exactly what he sounded okay. like, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, it makes sense from, like, a communist theory perspective, if you're talking about, like, worldwide communism, worldwide revolution, that, that all peoples are deserving of that revolution, and you want to overthrow it. But you also have to... But that's that's in theory, right? That's like... But you have to consider the real-life practical uh, uh, situation at that time. And, yeah, things were shitty for Bolivian peasants, but clearly at that point not enough work had been done or not enough support had been gathered to stage a meaningful revolution. Yes. And it kind of just, it kind of ends up with Che being there and fighting a guerrilla war that is ultimately futile. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he's also taking on a much bigger mass of land, right? Bolivia is bigger than Cuba, I would say. Bolivia is bigger than Cuba. Plus Bolivia's uh, uh, terrain, as we see in the movie, is much more difficult. Not that Cuba is a uh, walk in the park or anything, but like Bolivia has these massive like mountains. Well, yeah, and it's also, regardless of the terrain differences between Cuba and Bolivia, he's not as familiar with Bolivia. Like he'd be, he'd Absolutely. be very familiar with Cuba. Like he, you know, again, he's not. He's Argentinian, but he's still got the homegrown support of the Cuban people. He knows where to find it. He knows um, the weather patterns. Like, he's been there. He's lived there. Well, and the thing is, is like, yes, his his skills at revolution are absolutely welcome and necessary. But it's one of those things like, again, you have a foreign person in charge of this revolution in a country. Mm. That, that never looks good. It looks weird, yeah. But... If you could somehow harness his name to the advantage, that might be able to to help stir the people up if they knew that Che was there. But they're but they're keeping this thing secret mm -hmm. because they don't want the Bolivians to know, especially at least until he gets there, that he's there. And I mean, of course, everybody knows that he's there, but well, at least at some point, well, it's 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 all a little fucking weird, right? It's like when and I'm not comparing the ideologies, so let's just say that right now. But yeah. <laughs> it's like when um you know. Even if I was in support of the truckers, and I think you know what I'm talking about, that rally that was a while back in Canada, I would yeah. still be skeptical of, like, American senators coming <laughs> coming here or, or, or talking about coming here yeah. being like, we're going to rally behind you, we're going to rally behind you. He's like, whoa, 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 who the fuck are you? Yeah, yeah. If, if I suddenly see, like, some sort of, some sort of fascist insurgency in this country led by Americans, like, how fucked up would, like, bad enough for it to happen but to see it's like foreign influences i mean that's it's and yeah and it's that like would be huge <laughs> i think i think the vibe of like how how who are you to know what we go through kind of thing too yeah. like you don't live here you don't you don't experience the economy you don't work here you don't visit here even like it's it, it is it feels like an outsider trying to tell us how we feel it's like no i I don't want to think that he just... I don't think he went there unprompted. Like, I think he was talking to people and he was invited. No, but I'm but. just saying, like, I think that's the <laughs> overall vibe of the people that are not happy that he's there. Yeah. They want their... They want their... They want their freedoms back. They want to go to work and not have to wear masks. Damn it. Mm -hmm. They want... Damn it. They don't want needles. They want to become fridge magnets. You know, all the usual stuff. Yeah. But Jason, this because of this because this movie focuses on that part, on, on this part of his life, it 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 becomes, it's a very different movie. It it kind of mm -hmm. justifies having it as a separate movie because it's it's different in terms of pace, in terms of yeah. tone, in terms of cinematography, in terms of editing, in terms of score. Like everything's different. Like the last one. 
we talked about like you know the the black and white and the montages and the the voiceover and the flashback and flash forwards and it was like kind of innovative in terms of its style this one is very straightforward this one is yep. we are always we're chronologically we're going straight forward through time it is a much slower pace much more deliberate and i and i mean i'm sure the reasoning behind that is because this is a much more dour thing that we're talking about yeah this is uh, where where the first movie was the ascent this is this, this is, is the, the fall. descent this the is decline. the yeah the descent yeah man i mean and, and we talk about like how that how the first movie ended on such a positive note yeah. and we had that and it was nice and colorful right um whereas this movie right out of the gate this movie is much bleaker like in, in terms of its look it's a little grimier mm -hmm. it's very blue and seems to get bluer as the movie goes on uh and there, and and there's a there's a real maybe i'll just i'll just i'll lay it out right now but there's a re, there's a struggle there's a back and forth struggle for me while i was watching this movie because i was like i totally i totally understand why they're doing this I get it. I, I get why this is the tone of this movie. I get why it's a slower pace, more deliberate. Like you said, the colors are more muted, stuff like that. But at the same time, this was sometimes a struggle to watch. This, this, because it, it was hard enough. I There were so many people, so many characters, so many faces, so many, like, so many conflicts going on that I get a little mm -hmm. lost in the jumble of it. Combined with the fact that this is moving at a very slow pace, it was it was hard for me to. I don't want to say enjoy, but you know what I mean. Like it was hard for me to um, really, mm -hmm. I, I I guess enjoy <laughs> enjoy yeah. watching this. It it wasn't a, it wasn't like I don't know. I was very divided on this movie. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a movie that is if you know the history, you know it's going to a depressing end. Um, and even if you don't know the history, you have to assume that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's not gonna he's not gonna live happily ever after and die at ninety five. But I'm sure you perked right up when we got a cameo from Matthew Damon. I did. Uh uh there was somebody else too that I noticed. Uh, well, Jason, I didn't even say who was in this movie because we talked about part one, but I'll mention some of the people because some oh, new names come LDP. up. LDP. Yeah. Well we have obviously Fucking LDP. Got, we've obviously got Benicio back. Um yeah. we've got Franca Potent as Tanya. She's one of the uh, re the rebels. Um, she's actually their inside person who uh, is in the city, and then ha has to, as we as we see in the movie, they basically have to give up five years of intel because she gets discovered, and they he tells her don't come back here, and she comes back there, and they find yeah. out you know more information. Um, like you said, LDP Lou Diamond Phillips is in this movie very briefly. I think he's yes. only at, in the movie at the beginning. Right. He's uh yeah yeah well he shows up to the camp he's a he's a member of the communist party, and he's been kind of like liaising with them and supporting them. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but uh, Damien Bashir. Yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and he he comes out to see him, and uh, but basically tells him like, hey, we can't actually fully support you in this guerrilla war right now. We just we can't. And that, that's one of the nails in their coffin right there. I did read. Is that they don't have the official support of the party, which, of course, uh, uh, they in Cuba, they had the support of all the major rebel groups united together. So there's a big difference there. Yeah, I did read a, I did read a comment that from, like, I think it was Che's widow who basically said she considers this character, that, well, this person that Lou Diamond Phillips playing, Mario Monnier. Yeah. Um, she considers him as basically the reason that Che died eventually. Like, yeah. spoiler alert for history. Um, but yeah. also in this movie, yeah. Well, because without the, like I say, without the material support of the Communist Party of Bolivia, they weren't going to be able to accomplish much. Right. Um, but just around a couple more. Also in this movie, Joaquim de Almeida as uh, Barrientos. He, I, his, he's familiar. I don't. I can't nail down where I know him from, but he's been in a bunch of movies. And uh, mm -hmm. of course, you know him as well as anyone else, Jason. The the guy, the villain of Bad Boys Two. Jordi Mola as Mario Vargas. <laughs> uh, Bad Boys 2, one of the finest films in cinema history. Uh, that does feature a line in which Martin Lawrence looks at a couple of rats having sex and says, quote, they fuck just like us. <laughs> that does sound like something he would mm -hmm. say. But yeah, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's 
crazy. These movies are like night and day. Like I said last week, Steven Soderbergh, a uh, director I love. He's my like my favorite director, and I do appreciate that he does this. Like it, it could have been, it would have been so easy just to make the same movie, but with different, you know, well not easy, but you know, what I mean? it would have been uh, easier to make the same movie, same kind of movie, but just with like you know different story, different plot. Um, but he does go to the effort to make it different. It's it's just I don't know if it fully this part comes together as much for me as the first one, but. I respect it more than I like it, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what do you think? Like, what like what do you think? I know we, the reason for, like, the color change and stuff like that, but why do you think they kind of changed it to be more of, like, a straightforward storytelling, like, narrative? Like, why, why are we, why are we com- complete overhaul? Do you think it's... You know, I I wonder, and I'm just thinking about it now, but I wonder if maybe it's because of the differing, like, like I say, like the first movie is very much about kind of the triumph of Che. It's about those guys going through the muck, doing this thing and, and against all odds and in a thing that is so unlikely, they actually fucking pulled it off. Mm. Right. So this movie is a much more kind of positive view and so you have more room to do the kind of the the narration and and the the black and white gimmick you know as kind of the, in the flashbacks and stuff but then you get into this second movie and this second movie is about sort of a man's hubris i guess uh of it's like you did the impossible you pulled off a revolution you fucking won now you're gonna go try again somewhere else <laughs> yeah somewhere else and this movie is a much, I think it being more straightforward, it, it's it's thus more serious, mm. it's more grim, and it's more inevitable. Yeah. Uh, because the, the, the as history ticks down, we know we're getting to the point where Che is going to end because mm. it's going to happen. Well, even even for me, as someone who's not super familiar with, uh, who is not super familiar with Che, other than like he's the cool guy on that poster, um, yeah. I mean... I knew he was going to die in this movie. I mean, it's it's mm. pretty obvious that he died many years ago, and he's yeah. not the kind of person that would have just died of natural causes. Like, clearly, he met a violent yeah. end. And you, you knew he had to have died young because it's only when you die young that you get put on a T-shirt. There was there's People don't wear T-shirts of Fidel Castro. You also <laughs> uh, reminded me of one of my favorite quotes uh, where someone wrote, uh, Only the good die young, Billy Joel, age 67. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. But speaking of Fidel Castro, though, we do get a little bit of Damien Bashir in this movie at the beginning where he mm-hmm. reads a letter from uh, from Che talking about how he's in Bolivia. And OK, yeah. help me out here. Did he write this letter? Is he implying that because of him reading this letter, that means that Che has already died at the beginning of the movie? Is that what he's saying? Because he said, like, no, if you no, I no, OK. No, because I think this was explaining, like, he had to explain why Che had disappeared. Because the, okay. by this point, Che's a national hero as much as Fidel is and other, you know, heroes of the revolution. So for him, and, and again, had a prominent position in, 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 you know, the government, went to the UN. So for him to just disappear, which he kind of had to do to get out of Cuba without being noticed and get into Bolivia, you know, the whole, like, changing his identity and everything. Yeah. Um, so he had to do that, but then they had to explain it. So I guess Fidel, rather than try to make up some story, just explained that, read the letter and explained that he was going to foment revolution elsewhere. And that's, I don't know if that's a real letter or if that's a propaganda ploy. I, I want to think it was a real letter that he just read. <laughs> Which, by the way, you mentioned how he, Che has to change his look to get into Bolivia. When the movie started and he had that haircut, I was like, did yeah. Che get like 20 years older like what the <laughs> fuck is going on i was like wait a second imagine the iconic picture of che was with that haircut <laughs> yeah yeah i know and when i saw it i immediately clicked in because i remember seeing his passport photo mm. with this getup okay. uh, on wikipedia and yeah benicia del toro looks exactly like he does in that <laughs> picture with the fake hair and the glasses he, and- he almost looks like um that ben stiller character that he dresses up as in starsky and hutch when he's like do it do oh, it do it guy do <laughs> it but like with less of a hairline yeah he's like that mixed with ned ryerson from groundhog Day. yeah yeah exactly um yeah and i i guess this movie Again, I don't know a lot about the history of this stuff, but I, it, we do get a lot more focus on the U.S. involvement, I feel. Um, mm-hmm. it, like, like physically, like on the ground, because we see them training Bolivians. <laughs> yes. Which is... Because well, I, I don't know how involved 
the U.S. was in, I'm sure it was to some extent, in trying to prevent the Cuban Revolution, but clearly they've gone, and, and they, you know, Bolivia was hardly the only country they did this in, places like El Salvador. What? And, and Chile, and, you know, where they would offer material and training. Certainly you're not accusing uh, the U.S. of getting involved in other countries' issues. I'm not accusing them. I'm, I'm outright saying they did Oh, it. wow, <laughs> Jason. This podcast. It's an accusation. It's a proven fact. You're going to get sued for libel. But yeah, so yeah, they're they're Bolivians are getting are getting money and help and training from the U.S. The U.S. trying to take Bolivian soldiers and turn them into special forces soldiers, which in this context basically means a death squad. Mm. Um, and obviously the U.S. wants wouldn't mind having Che dealt with. I'm sure I, that's not an explicit goal. I don't think of theirs other than to help the. Uh, Bolivian government stopped this communist insurgents. Yeah, um, and, and and just with regards to the to the to the movie where where we're kind of going with it, um, that wasn't a sentence, but we're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> There's not a lot of fighting as much as there was in the first one, and I'm sure that's more nope. realistic to what this was. But there there are like some quick little skirmishes where you just see like gun you know gunfire and some people drop dead, and it's you know. It's always like a almost like a jump scare moment every time, yeah. um, but really nothing till like the last moment, like the final scene, one of the final scenes, and even that's pretty quick. Um, yeah, they're a very small guerrilla organization. They're not going to be having big battles. No. It's generally ambushes and hit and run is what they're trying to do. It feels very much like. Um, like we said, because I know Soderbergh said, I wanted to make a two-part procedural. Whereas the first one, I don't think felt like that as much. This one feels very much like a procedural, more to me. Like this, it, it's like, you know, it's like all the president's men, you know, they're going from one thing to the next. There's not a whole lot of time for, you know, development or whatever. It was just going through the events in order. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like that movie more, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Um, were they okay? Again, this is me just asking because I don't know. There's a scene later on in the movie where they go to the village, um, the rebels, and yeah. there's are, are they taking supplies from that poor village and for the rebellion? Because they go into the village like we need this, we need food, we need this. Oh, but this is why yeah. we need it. Ultimately, it will benefit you. But in the end, I'm like, this is a bit um questionable, right? <laughs> Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, when you are a guerrilla army foraging off the land, you know, but I will say they do, I th I'm pretty sure they offer to pay for their goods. Although one of the guys makes the point at some point, like, what the fuck, what am I going to spend this on? Like, yeah. What am I going to buy? Like, <laughs> but, you know, they eventually do acquiesce because ultimately they don't have to make the threat, but they're all walking around with guns. So they know that if they want to take it, they can. Yeah. But. I mean, and that's the thing, like in, in wartime, you that shit happens across the board on both sides, especially again, if you're like a guerrilla organization and, and you're running low on food and supplies, you got to do what you got to do. But also going and robbing peasants is extremely counterproductive to your cause. Yeah. And, and that's and again, if you remember in the last movie, that's why they execute those guys for saying that they were, you know, taking food and, and raping that daughter on behalf of the. Cuban uh, revolution. Well, I mean, like it's, in, it's... in in this one, they're not they're not raping people, but, but... no, no. But I'm saying yeah. the the reason that they got executed was for the same reason that, that you wouldn't do that. Mm. You wouldn't go rob a farm because you need the people on your side. Yes, and your message is like we need to help the people overthrow you know the people in power. Well, how does that look if you're out killing peasants for their food? Yeah, that's true. Go kill a rich person for their food you know, or their gold toilet. You can't eat a gold toilet. Um, Jason, hold on. We're going to hit some controversy here. Have you ever tried to eat a gold toilet? Uh, I mean, to be fair, no. But I, I'm pretty sure that both gold and porcelain are not nutritionally beneficial. Okay, my natural follow-up question. Are you or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? I don't know if a member. Answer the question, uh, Jason. I, I certainly was on a mailing list for a while. What? I certainly was on a mailing list No, for I a heard while. you. I just needed an explanation. I signed up for it on the internet. You signed up for a <laughs> Communist Party mailing list? Yeah, well, the, the CPC Marxist-Leninist, not the CPC. Okay. I may have signed up for the CPC at one point, too, but... <laughs> it, it was it, it was run by uh, Joey Ma J Joseph McCarthy's uh, nephew? 
I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my uncle did some bad things, but uh, I, I, I like this old commie thing. I'm, I'm assuming he was like a 1930s gangster's kid. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, well, I guess communism, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I gotta... I got to like give the movie credit for at least showing that scene because I did think that was the most, I think that was some of the most critical stuff of Che in either of these movies when we see them go into the village and not only because they're taking the supplies, but I feel like they're being a bit manipulative and, and telling them like, no, 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 but here's money. And, and ultimately you're going to be so happy once we get the revolution, uh, finished, you know? Oh, manipulative, absolutely. And I but again, I think that they're trying every tactic they can to not have to resort to just taking it. Yeah. But at that point it's like do they know that there's no chance? Like at what point does Duche and the men that that are with him are like we're going to just die trying, but we're we're going to get as close as possible. I mean, that I guess that's that that was in the heart of each man. I mean, Che, I don't think, was a guy that was going to give in. No. I think Che was was ready to go to the end, and clearly he was and did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think if if he hadn't just been executed, I think he would have made every effort to escape. And you know, until the revolution was won, he was going to be there one way or another. Mm-hmm. He got exited one way, you know. Okay, so you talked about Lou Diamond Phillips. I do have to ask you, who who was Matt Damon supposed to be? I think he was a German priest. Why did he show up for that? <laughs> so, like three lines. All I can assume is that he's uh, that he's friends with Soderbergh. Oh, definitely. Had a free, you know, had a free few like a day or something, and be like, hey, come on down to Bolivia. I mean, Matt Damon's been in a, a, a few of his movies. I think he's all he's in all the Ocean's movies. He's in uh, the Informant. The Informant. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, that makes sense that he would just come down and hang out it just it just was like it's one of those cameos that, and i like matt damon i i, I he's, yeah. he's a great he's a great solid actor him and ben affleck are both great but it's it's just that he's such a big star that yeah. it's jarring when he shows up in a tiny it cameo. takes me completely out of it for that moment where i'm like now i will say matt damon's there <laughs> yeah i will say though props to soderbergh i like he doesn't linger on him like it's literally a brief scene yeah. and we really don't see him that close it's only it's like well it's Matt Damon but it's like it's not like we get like a tight close up of his face to show off that he's Matt Damon you know mm-hmm. yeah true um, I mean it would have been really weird if they just <laughs> zoomed in on his face <laughs> I like, just yeah. Soderbergh the movie is as straightforward as possible the whole time but for just for that one scene it just zooms in and out really quick with the Chiron it's just like Matt Damon Matt Damon and you just hear. <laughs> we got him yeah i mean that yeah that, maybe it would have been better though i don't know because i i don't know because i didn't I, see it in executed. i would have felt similar to you hmm? brendan if i had i would have felt similar to you brendan mm-hmm. if i hadn't been um spoiled by that when i was looking at the cast mm-hmm. list i just happened to briefly glance and catch his name well actually i did I did actually also see his name beforehand, but then I forgot about it. So then, so ah. then, because I, because I mean, you see Matt Damon's name, you assume like, oh, he's a pretty big role. So yeah. I guess when I realized he didn't, I just forgot about it. And then he showed up, and I was like, oh shit, <laughs> there he is. Mm-hmm. I gotta give props to Franca Potent. If that's how you pronounce her last name, I'm sorry if it's not, but um, is she of the Born Identity and mm-hmm. Run Lola Run. Oh, she was. Was she Lola? Yeah, dude. Fuck it. Frank wow. No idea. Yeah. No, no idea. But she, she, her character, uh, Tanya, um, who is, again, the one that they kind of have like as a spy in the town. And then she comes back and she has to deal with a lot of shit. I thought that I thought that was nice that they had the that uh, female character in it, just like they did in the first part. Um, they had a equally important uh, person in that role. And that's, I mean, in, especially in a movie about a, any sort of communist uh, insurgency, you want to feature the women because they do feature prominently especially on the front lines mm. um yeah i mean i guess let's, let's talk about the the way this thing ends um the climactic gunfight slash battle scene yep. sort of 
By the way, got to point out, after my complaint in the last movie that I never heard a Garand ping, I heard at least two different pings in this oh. movie. So clearly Steven Soderbergh heard my criticism and fixed this one before I watched yeah, it. Yeah, he, he pulled a George Lucas and he was like, actually, uh, I always, when I made the movie, I always wanted to put a Garand ping in there. So yeah. I went back and I, I edited it. You see, with, with Che, I always wanted uh, Han Solo to walk behind Jabba and step on his yeah. tail. What? George, get out of here! Oh, Jetpack. What? I thought it was a. I thought it was a weird He's change that they had Chase shoot first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, initially it was going to be a Fidel, and then they changed it to Chase shooting first. Weird that they had a scene where uh, Che shot and killed Fidel Castro. I mean, we know he yeah, lived know. beyond that. That was weird. <laughs> uh, what, what is this? Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> So Soderbergh just had extra film. It was like when uh, it was like when Coppola blew up the blew up the base in uh, Apocalypse Now and filmed it. He never used it. I don't think he ever intended to. He just did it because he could. Yeah, this isn't my ending. This isn't my ending. Let's do it again. Let's do a different thing. We just spent a million dollars. Ah, this isn't my ending. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. So the so the ending, what I think is interesting, and I do think the last twenty five minutes or so are really good. I think the like the way the movie ends and comes together at the end is very good. I, I I feel like the road getting there is a bit bumpy, but the last twenty five minutes or so, because the the battle scene, the gunfight, it, it we kind of get it kind of changes to like more handheld, and the the camera work gets intentionally like sloppier. It's almost like you know aping the note the the idea that they're not prepared for this. They're not prepared for this onslaught. They're not prepared. They are outnumbered. Oh, yeah. They are hungry. They are tired. Weak. Yeah weak absolutely sick so they get i mean they get massacred there's some that survive but they pretty much get massacred and when they start closing that's the best the best camera the best work technically in this movie is when they start closing in on che he gets shot in the leg they're closing in on him and the music gets like thumping like it just gets so intense and and like you know the the tension that comes in because this is the first time you're like really feeling that he himself is in direct danger, right? It's yeah. always his men. It's always his cause. It's, I mean, the only time we really ever felt it is when he ha- is having his, like, asthma attacks, which he does, again, a lot yeah. in this movie, too. Um, but that moment, you're like, oh, no, this is the, these are the walls closing in. Like, this is it for him. Um, and then, of course, as he's, like, captured, you're like, well, this is the beginning of the end. We're just waiting for that moment. <laughs> That's when we have that we have that interesting moment with the um, with the with the young guard where Chase starts talking to him, and he asks him where he's from and all this. He's like, "Do you have a wife and kids?" "No, uh, I got five kids at home." And then he just and then he just looks at him and says, "Would you please untie me?" And the guy's like, "What?" And he goes, "Would you just please untie me?" Mm. And the guy kind of like realizes what's going on, turns around and walks out, and then says to the other guy, "Like he wanted me to untie him." You better take the watch. I don't want to. Yeah, he, <laughs> but that's... he almost just casually got that guy to release him. <laughs> yeah, he was trying. and it w- But that guy realized this right away. Maybe I think Che might have gone a little too quick on the on the deal, but he kind of had to. He didn't really have much time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because it's if you think about, and that's, like that reminds me of, uh, he was basically trying to pull a Gehring in some way. Like Herman Gehring, when he got arrested after the war and was put on trial, uh, while he was awaiting the Nuremberg trials, he was in a cell and he befriended his American guard and they became quite, quite chatty and friendly. And, you know, and ultimately it was the American guard that he convinced to get him the cyanide capsule that he used to commit suicide in his cell. So he got to escape justice once more. Man, what a shitty American guard that they would find common ground with Herman Goering. But I mean, that's not like, that's not crazy to me. Like um, people, you know, people... People are people, man. Yeah. You know, but, you could be you could be a monster and still be like an erudite, interesting, fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Like um, Saddam Hussein apparently was like that with his guard, where the, he the guard described him as, I guess, having like a kind of a grandfatherly personality to him, and always telling stories and being very wise. And one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite things I've seen recently, Jason, is I, I'm watching. I, I'm well. I'm halfway through it, I guess, but I'm watching a show called Ca- uh, Agent Carter. It's a Marvel show, and uh, there's a scene where a guy goes to a, a jail cell to talk with a, f- a former Nazi, uh, who's awaiting basically 
being he's going to be hanged and killed in the most like torturous way possible and he's like look if you give me information i'll give you the cyanide capsule so you can have a quick death like i'll i'll give you that benefit so he gives him all the information he gives him the capsule the nazi takes it and then the guy walks out he opens the little tab and he's walking by one of the guards and he's just like tic tac fun yeah (laughs) fuck you nazi that's what i got to say to that Anyway, I thought it was going to be like he pressed a button and then it blew nope, up. Nope, nope. Because it was a little bomb. He just gave him a tic tac, making him think uh. he was gonna, he was helping him. <laughs> um, and then, like the man during the intro said, Jason, uh, there is a first person scene in this movie that is far better than anything in the Doom movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's much shorter. Yes. Uh, it's much less action intense, mm. and uh, it's actually quite disturbing. I will say that the Doom in that, that scene in Doom, while stupid, I kind of enjoy. It, it is some dumb way. Oh no, it's it's absolutely the best part of that movie. No but question. It's dumb. It is dumb, but it's cool that somebody tried. <laughs> yeah. But in this scene, so we have Che, who's we've gotten the word that uh, he needs to be six hundred. Or whatever they say, like which is clearly code for excuse. See, I didn't know, but I but judging by the way they were saying it and the solemn look on everyone's faces, I was like, clearly it's an execution order. Yeah, I went and Googled it to be sure, just to just to see. But yes, no, because context clues, yes, implied that that was the <laughs> you, case. You look it up, and you're like, they're going to dress him up like a woman and make him dance. <laughs> giving him a section eight. <laughs> um. So. Yeah. So they get the order to kill him, but specifically to make it look like he was killed in combat because they don't have the authority to execute him. They haven't given him a trial or anything. It's just murder at this point. Um, But they want to be done with them, you know, and they want something to show the Americans to be like, hey, it all paid off, right? We got Mm -hmm. him. Uh, So, yeah. So they asked for volunteers, and this one guy volunteers, and I went, I I just read a little bit on him. The guy that volunteered was like a 27-year-old guy who had lost three of his friends in the recent battle with Che's forces. All three guys were named Mario, interestingly <laughs> enough. Don't know why, but, you know, I guess Mario's just a common name. Makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he volunteered. He was also half in the bag when he volunteered. And we kind of see that, where he's, like, angry and, and he's clearly a little drunk. I think you'd have to be. And then they bring him in, and he stands there, and Che's like, okay, go ahead, shoot yeah. me. And he cut, he does, and, they and he shoots him. Specifically tell him to shoot below the neck. Yeah, don't shoot him in the face. Shoot him in the body so that it was like he was killed in combat. Yeah. <clears throat> also, they want his head intact so they can identify him, right? You could, I mean, you, you, people get head in, shot in the head in combat, but it's way harder to identify mm-hmm. him. So he starts pulling off shots into him. And that's when we go to this first-person perspective of Che, uh, from Che's perspective, seeing the rifle fire into the camera. Uh, it felt like I was. It felt like it was rust, and then uh, shot two more. Jesus times. Christ, Jason! <laughs> Not even and, explain that reference for anyone. No, and then uh, yeah, and then he falls down to the ground, and the camera fades to fades out, and then th- I think that's the end of the movie, isn't it? Uh, or do we, no, no, no. We see more because we see his body put yeah. on the helicopter and flown out as everybody's kind of watching it go. Yes. And we also have uh, a line shortly before that scene where, you know, he's saying, like, uh, I think someone says, like, you're, um, but you're about to fail. Like, this is it. You're done, Che. Like, your revolution is over. And he says, maybe our failure will wake them up. Yeah. Because they think that just because they fail, it's going to discourage the people. And he's like, I don't see it that way. I mean, and, and his image continues to inspire people. To this day. To this day. I mean, this was yeah. what? This was 1968? Yeah. So almost 60 years later, Jason, we're still talking about him. He's yeah. still on shirts. He's still on... <laughs> Although... A, a controversial but ultimately uh, uh, fascinating and important historical figure. And again, I mean, again, people putting him on shirts and posters misses the com- completely misses the point of who he was. <laughs> Yeah, it misses the point, and I, I, obviously most of them probably don't know exactly what he did other than that, oh, he's the revolution guy. Yeah. Mr. Revolution, Ernesto Che Guevara. Why are you announcing him like a fucking WWE wrestler? Because he's got two nicknames. Mr. Revolution <laughs> Mr. Revolution Comandante Guevara. I'll have to make a Che creative wrestling next wrestling game. He's in the NWO. Imagine that. We got a new member of the World Order. 
revolutionary Che Guevara. I thought for a second you said the Woo World Order, and I was like, was that Ric Flair's oh, uh, version? That was Ric Flair's, <laughs> yeah. He, the, after the Horseman, he <laughs> decided to make his own Woo World Order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, um, yeah, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about? He's dead, right. Funny. Um, and you made a terrible reference to a movie that hasn't come out yet. I think it's time we move on, though. I think it's time we take a break. We uh, we break. We take a break. That's what the pros say in the industry. And we're, uh, we'll be right back, I suppose, with bits and bombs. Sure, I got a few of those. All right, well... Come on back, y'all. We'll be right back. Hello. It is me, Antonio Banderas, yet again. I love Age of Radio because I love the podcast. I love the form of the podcast. And my favorite thing is when young men, strapping young men, from Canada talk about war movies. You can only hear that sort of talk on Age of Radio. This has been... Antonio Banderas saying, you wish you were me. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Human Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. Part two, part two, part two with bits and bombs. I feel like this is going to be a much smaller section than last week because we kind of covered a lot of ground already. And I'm switching the tone of this song a million times just like this movie switches the tone between part one and part two. Now it's time for Bits and Bombs with Brendan and Jason, but mostly Jason, he should be credited first on this Bits and Bombs theme song. Jason, Jason, unleash your Bits and Bombs. Jason, Jason, unleash. Thank you for that lovely song, Brendan. But as I looked through my Bits and Bombs, I realized that I think I pretty much talked about everything that I wrote down. Oh, wait, we missed, there was a scene where, where Jay frustrated... Uh, uh, with his horse, because his horse will not come into the woods, attacks his horse with a knife. And kills it. And stabs it. And kills yeah. it. Yeah. Which is a little, uh, <laughs> having a bit of an outburst. I thought, I thought now, he killed it because he said, we're going to eat the horse. He did tell them to kill a horse because they needed food, but I don't think, I don't think he had intended to do it himself. Mm-hmm. However... I don't think the fellows would have been sad at turning down free horse meat. So if they had to kill two horses, everybody ate. It's like that old saying, Jason, kill two horses with one knife. That's right. Um, Good luck. <laughs> but only only Che could only do it. Only Che could do it. That's our that's our new myth about Che Guerrera. Or Guerrera. He and Guerrera. <laughs> Hector Guerrera and Che Guevara together at Well, last. I think um, with Che Guevara being a horse killer, we now know how this movie ended up on the Paste Magazine list. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Jason, I've got a few things. Um, sure. I noticed the map motif come up again at the beginning of this movie, but it was sped up because I think they heard us in the first episode saying, we spend a lot of time on this map because they spend next to no time on this map. Well, I mean, and you could argue, too, that maybe they're in more limited areas in Bolivia. Uh, uh, Bolivia's also a lot bigger, as you pointed out, uh, than Cuba. It is, but I do feel like there was a, a, as many cities as they recognize, but they just kind of go bloop, bloop. Bloop, bloop. And that's 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 the dialogue. Um, I know Soderbergh said uh, he wasn't gonna focus. He didn't want to focus on Che's family life, but we do see his family for like a, a scene with no dialogue. Um, very briefly. Um, it. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that they focus on it, but it it comes up. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he he well, he mentions at one point that he has five kids. Yeah, uh, I, I looked on Wikipedia. One of his kids has a Wikipedia entry. Okay, his his daughter, who is I believe a doctor, Eddie Guerrero, Havana. No. Um, let me just see if I have anything else, Jason. I don't have a whole lot. Oh, there's a journalist character we didn't really talk about that comes in to interview them, and and Che calls yeah. him a Trojan horse. That. And that's clearly what yeah. he is. I'm pretty sure that uh, it's the smug look on his face. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the one of the rebels says to him at one point. He asks him for a cigarette, and the journalist says, "I don't smoke." And he's like, and "He says, why don't you smoke? Smoking's great." And I said, "Jason's taking notes right now. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's so good for you." Um, when really, I wonder if they would have won that revolution if they all weren't smoking fucking cigars all the time. Yeah, that takes a lot of breath out of you. But then again, the Cubans were smoking cigars all the time, and they won, so... I thought the line uh, was interesting where Che tells his men, to survive this, you have to live as if you've already died. That is a dark... Yeah. <laughs> dark, thought, dark thought, but, I mean, that's... Doesn't John Wayne say something similar in Sands of Iwo Jima? Yeah, and that's... Like, like you, gotta, you gotta live like you're already dead. Never thought I would uh, hear a comparison between these two movies, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, And yeah, I, that's... that's all I have, but I do, um, and I, we kind of talked about, I talked about the behind the scenes and shit, so we already covered that, but um, mm-hmm. I should talk about the reaction to this movie because it was varied. Um, the early reviews were pretty mixed, although there was a lot of critics who did uh, just kind of speak glowingly about the project. Um, Soderbergh was uh, kind of had a response to the, there was some criticism that he made a very unconventional film. Obviously, I mean, he split it into yeah. two and made two very different movies. And he said, I find it hilarious that most of the stuff being written about movies is how conventional they are. And then you have people upset that something's not conventional. And he said, <laughs> the bottom line is we're just trying to give you a sense of what it was like to hang around this person. That's really it. And the scenes were chosen strictly on the basis of, yeah, but what does this, that tell us about his character? So that was his main concern. Like, we want scenes that matter. I'm not just going to show up a, a battle that is for yeah. nothing. Um he added a few things to the movie after it made its release. So he added a moment of uh, Che and Fidel shaking hands. He changed a few transitions. He actually tacked on an overture and a entr'acte to the roadshow yeah. version of the movie. Um, he removed a scene of a uh, there's a trial of a gorilla named Lalo Sardinas, uh, which a film critic said it was kind of regrettable because it was. Um, one of the film's most haunting scenes and also a, a key hint at the darker side of Che's ideology. So he thought it was kind of a bummer that they cut that. Um, yeah. In Miami, uh, they premiered not too far away from Little Havana, which uh, so the, the movie had many protesters um, outside of the theater uh, from Little Havana. And they... Um, they were very upset upset about the movie. Or some people were very upset about the movie. Del Toro said, well, that's part of what makes America great. Uh, he said that long before Donald Trump was talking about it. So let's not go crazy. Um, credit where credit is due. Del Toro just kind of did slip in. I find it a little weird that they were protesting without having seen the film. But that's another matter. Um, yeah. yeah, Soderbergh also said, like, you know, there was the Cuban nationalist lobby that is centered in Miami was upset. The rest of the country, I don't think, will be quite as upset about it. No. Um, at, in Cuba, Del Toro was treated to a 10-minute standing ovation from the audience. Um, oh, so it was released in Cuba. and they It was it. in Havana's Yara Cinema. Uh, a 10-minute standing ovation from the audience, m- many of whom were involved in the revolution, which is pretty cool. Um, imagine yeah. like being involved in something so personal, and then years later the movie comes to your city, and you love it so much. <laughs> well, and it must be so nice, like... I mean, because because first off, you hear that the Americans of all people are doing a a like a, a biography of one of your country's greatest heroes. Your the country that has fucked your country for many years mm. is doing it, and you you can imagine what people would expect. The fact that they like it that says a lot about that movie and how respectful it was in Cuban. And it speaks to who you've got making the movie. You got to, I mean, Soderbergh's yeah. a basic white dude. <laughs> and he's yeah. he's doing a, a pretty respectful movie in that regard. He's not he's not mm-hmm. you know he's he's not, certainly not painting Americans as the uh, heroes or anything. Val Kilmer's and I'm pretty sure Benicio del Toro is not Cuban. No, but he's at least not white <laughs> or Argentine. I don't think he's Argentine no. either. Um, but also Val Kilmer not in the movie. <laughs> so we just yes. talked about last week. Um, <laughs> so in New York, 
there was an interesting reaction. Uh, he was doing a Q&A, which got a bit defensive and a bit um, contentious at times, where the director at one point called uh, Guevara a hard-ass, to which an audience member yelled out, bullshit, he was a murderer. Um, the filmmaker, you know, Soderbergh had waited for the co- crowd to kind of calm down and says, listen, it doesn't matter whether I agree with him or not. I was interested in Che as a warrior. Che as a guy who had an ideology, who picked up a gun, and this was the result. He died the way you would have him die. He was executed the way you would say he executed other people. This Q&A ended at one in the morning, so it went on very <laughs> long. And Soderbergh basically said he's agnostic on Che's standing in terms of the, you know, the world, and says, uh, but you know what, I was as loyal to the facts as possible, and we rigorously sourced everything we put into the movie, which I do believe, Mm -hmm. I do believe they went to great lengths to try to make it as accurate as possible. And I think that that's, you know, maybe they didn't include everything, but that's an, that's um, an admirable thing, that they tried to at least stick to the story as much as they could. Um and I think Mer- Americans sometimes forget the violence of their own revolution. What? <laughs> uh, in the U.S., of course, overall, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the first one actually has a 68%, and the second one actually has a 79%. Interesting. Um, the audience scores are flipped as well. So the critics are actually higher on the second one. The audiences are higher on the first one. Um, it, obviously, this doesn't go to Oscars the BAFTAs because it's not a... This is released kind of in a unique way. Um, Del Toro did get a Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival, though. And in his acceptance speech, he dedicated the award to Che Guevara. I'm sure many people were probably upset with that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, He... Although I suppose it'd be funny, I guess Bruno Ganz didn't get up there after downfall and be like, I dedicate this award to Adolf Hitler. Probably not. (laughs) I feel like that movie's not um, sympathetic to Hitler, but I haven't seen it. But I'm assuming oh, with, with all the accolades it's gotten, it's probably not super sympathetic. Is it on it's our on list? It's on our list, sir. We'll okay, get to good, it eventually. Good. All right. Um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, somebody who was a little miffed uh, that this movie didn't make a splash at the Oscars in any kind of way was Sean Penn. Um, oh, Sean Penn was mad about something you said. <laughs> well, I mean, this I think this is kind of admirable. During um, when Sean Penn got his Best Actor trophy at the Screen Actor Guild Awards, um, he said, the fact that there aren't crowns on Soderbergh's and Del Toro's heads right now, I don't understand. That is such a sensational movie. Um, he said, maybe it's because it's Spanish, maybe the length, maybe the politics, I don't know, but it's a shame. So he was just kind of bummed out that they didn't get recognized. I think that's cool. He then went on to explain that Jude Law is a really good guy and a fantastic actor. Listen, not the worst uh, response to something Chris Rock did at the Oscars. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) I used to think, man, Chris Rock got treated so poorly by Sean Penn, and now that is a mere blip on the radar. (laughs) Sean Penn is very happy about that. (laughs) He's like, phew, I can finally... Somebody punched a guy and it wasn't (laughs) me. I can finally work in Hollywood again. Um, and I already mentioned what this movie made. It, it, it didn't uh, didn't make ba- profit at the box office, unfortunately. But I think it did pretty well afterwards. But that is it. That it wraps up our conversation on Che, part one and All part right. two. Jason, you look like you want to say something. Before we get to the final the final verdicts, I just want to ask you. So what were you thinking? Roads, so as you pointed out, the roadshow version of this had an overture and an entr'acte, yeah. and I assume I hope an intermission to go get yeah with the Rockettes. Um, how many movies in your life have you seen with intermission where the back half is as different, uh, from the front half as this movie? I don't think ever. The only one I can think of offhand, and I have never actually seen it in the Rojo version, mm-hmm. but it's something like Kill Bill mm. because the first half of Kill Bill is a Kung Fu movie and the back half of Kill Bill is a spaghetti Western. Yes. And those are two weird movies to smush together into one. That would <laughs> now yeah. obviously I would say these are a little more similar than say those mm. two, but also still very different. I mean, like Lawrence of Arabia, when you come back from the break, I mean it's not it's the same movie. Yeah. It's not it's not a different movie. It's continuing that movie. Well, and Jason, I also um watched <laughs> this year I watched the five and a half hour Napoleon silent film. Um nice. and I would also say that movie, once you come back from the intermission doesn't really change a whole lot like we're just progressing through the movie i also jason watched the seven hour satan tango movie this year Uh did that have uh an intermission it had about three of them i believe 
Oh, yeah. It, did. Okay, <laughs> it was also broken up into uh, chapters. So it was it. I right now, if you're gonna watch a long movie like that, that is the best way to do it. So that way you can have a perfect stopping point. Yes. But don't get cocky. If you're if you're at the end of a chapter and you're like, nah, I can go one more chapter. You don't know how long that chapter is gonna be. Take your loss. That's Just right. go. Just go. Cut it. Um. But yeah, no. I, I yeah. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever experienced that. Mm. Jason, why don't you tell us? Because I know you you held off until we got to both of them. So overall, your take on this movie, uh, where it stands, maybe as part of the list, and uh, your very official uh, uh, IMDb recognized rating. Uh, these are both very good movies. Uh, watching this in one sitting might be a bit much. Mm. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot. I mean, it's four hour, almost four and a half hours. By itself. Now, we, of course, did it in two weeks, so I'm not going to complain about that. I just think that that would be a long time. And again, them being so different, it would be like a weird... I guess you have to look at more like a double feature than a single film. Yeah. But I think it's a really good... A really Does a really good job of portraying Che's... Uh, the important parts, anyways, of Che's life uh, without getting too into the weeds, which is funny to say about, you know, four hours worth of film. <laughs> but, you know, it... it it's really, really well made. I think Del Toro's performance is fantastic and understated and um, feels real. Uh, I, I think the production design is great. The way it's shot is beautiful. It's so, especially like in the second one, we had that shot where, because we're there, we're actually there right now on the side of a mountain in Bolivia, right outside La Paz, and we could see the entire city. Yeah. And the reason we're here is because in the movie, we have a scene where they're driving up on this very road, and you could just see out over the city. And take a look, Brett, and you can see how crazy it is, how much of the city you can see. Like, mm. it's just, it's just, it's almost endless, it can feels. Can you see my house from here? I know. It's, it's a beautiful film. Both of them are beautiful films. Both of them are a fair assessment of a controversial character. And while... While a four-hour watch of it might not be the most entertaining thing in the world, definitely take a watch at both. I'm going to give it uh, uh, four and a half successful revolutions out of five. I think that this is a solid picture. It's well-made. And if you're interested in Che Guevara, this is probably the one to watch. I've not seen The Motorcycle Diaries or any other Che movies, so I can't honestly say that. But in my heart, it feels like this is the one to watch because I love Benicio Del Toro. He was Dr. Gonzo, man. Yeah. Uh, the Muppets? <laughs> I didn't know Gonzo Gaza. got his doctorate. When was that? <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm I'm a bit conflicted. I mean, I really, I really, really like part one, and I appreciate part two and what it needs to do and what it accomplishes in terms of like. I just love that Soderbergh was like, "No, I'm going to make a movie, and the second half is going to be radically different." And just so when it gets split into two movies, it's it, they can exist as two separate movies. I mean, I think mm-hmm. if you just watch part two, that's oh, you're a weirdo and you should just watch both. You're a weirdo. <laughs> and if you just watch part one, then you, I guess you're an optimist and you just want to think the yeah. best. You just want to leave on a, leave on a happy But I think note. you could watch part one on its own, arguably. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I honestly think you could watch part two on yeah. its own because it's a specific part of the man's life. And so... It should have just been called Che, the front half, and Che, the back half. <laughs> That's what it should have been, yeah, for sure. Those are yeah. good marketable titles. Um, but I will say that uh, overall, um, but overall, um, where I do really like the first part, and I do like the second part, just not nearly as much, I would uh, I would say overall I would give it um, seven Che's out of ten Guevara's because I'm tired and I can't think of anything else. <laughs> Very good, very good, very nice. Yeah, so that's 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 that, man. That's it. That's the last episode, folks. It's been a blast. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait we, a minute. I think we got every movie, did we not? Uh, there might still be a couple more. I'll I'll check. Oh, back sorry, them. sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. 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 Jason, yes, you're right. We we are um, we are covering several more movies. We we have about um, six years of this left to finish this list and all the movies we want oh, to talk about. Wonderful. Jason, what are we talking about next? Now, next week we are sticking with the list. Um, and then after next week, we are taking a side venture for a while. But Jason, we are sticking with the list. What the heck are we talking about next week? Brendan, we are checking out a movie that I have not heard of before, which I'm excited. It's a, a movie. It's set during the Korean War. It was made in 1957, directed by one Anthony Mann. Mm-hmm. Right, and of course, we are talking about Men in War, starring Robert Ryan, Aldo Ray, and Robert Keith, and also featuring the great, the late, Vic Moore. He of 
the greatest enemy of helicopters. Absolutely, and the star of combat. Sure. Great show. Well, and it should note that is number 43 on the list. Um, so, uh, yeah, in Korea, 1950, September, Lieutenant Benson's platoon finds itself isolated in enemy-held territory after a retreat. Soon they are joined by Sergeant Montana, I'm assuming Hannah, whose overriding concern is caring for his catatonic colonel. Benson and Montana can't stand each other, but together they must get the survivors to Hill 465 where they hope the division is waiting. It's a long, harrowing march fraught with all the dangers the elusive enemy can summon. And uh, from the, the screenshot from Letterboxd you sent me, the, the, the uh, quote, along with the movie, sells me, which is, one more step and I'll fill your guts with lead. See, I thought it was, I'll fill your guts with lead. Oh, yeah, well, it, that, that's a very different phrase. <laughs> and makes a lot less sense. Fill your guts with lead, meaning like a, like a lead, like, a, like for a horse. Like yeah, a, or like a leash for a dog. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's about men going to war and ripping open people's stomachs and sticking leashes in them. Yep. It was a brutal time, the Great Leash Battle of 1950. It was a kinky war. <laughs> it was a... It was a <laughs> if Kinky Korea, they it, called I it. I believe David Cronenberg uh, sponsored that war. <laughs> <laughs> he did, as a boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so Men in War, we'll talk about that next week. 1957, Jason. Anthony Mann. Oh, boy. But until then, um, you can find us all over the place. We're on all the podcast apps. Our home base, though, is Age of Radio. You can go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Blue Sky at FSAC pod. FSAC. Yes, that's in for screen. You. At Jason D. McLeod on the ads. M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Correct. I'm, I'm, see, my goal, Jason, is to catch you is to try more and more every week to catch you off guard, which is a very abrupt intro, and it never works. One of these days, Brendan, I have faith. Bang, in zoom you. to the moon. Jason's threatening to punch me. Uh, um, okay, well, on that note, then uh, we are done. I say on that note a lot, but that's fine. Deal with it. It's a, it's a good phrase. It's your Thank phrase. Thank you. I invented it in 1950, September 6th in Korea. So on that note. <laughs> Um, we're going to wrap this thing up. We are going to talk about that movie, that men in war movie next week. Mm-hmm. But until then, I just have to say to you, Jason, and I don't mm-hmm. know for how much longer, according to the news recently, unfortunately, Ooh, yeah. uh, but, uh, we'll say, uh, God save the King. Viva the revolution. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And for yeah, screening, sort yeah, of works. screening country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Get better, uh, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck. Come on, man. We we we, we spent all this money. They, uh, we, meaning us Canadians, the whole Commonwealth, we spent all this money to coronate you king, and you're just going to go and get cancer on us, and then we're going to do it with fucking Billy? Come on. I had no part in any of these comments. Bye! Bye! For Screen and Country was created by and stars Brendan Wall and Jason McLeod. Today's film was Che, Part 2, released in 2008. Comandante Che Guevara by Maria Faraduri and Lo Eterno by Carlos Puebla served as our music. This has been an Age of Radio production, copyright 2024. Hombres como tú no mueren, ni en la historia ni en el tiempo, como habrían de morirse los hombres que son eternos.